This episode of the MedTalk podcast is brought to you by MedTech Innovation Expo, the UK and Ireland's leading event for medical device manufacturing. Save the date for MedTech Innovation Expo 2024, taking place on the 5th and 6th of June at the NEC in Birmingham. For more information, please visit www.medtechexpo.com. Welcome to this episode of the Femtech series on the MedTalk podcast, where we discuss the latest news and issues in life sciences. I'm Olivia Freyett, the editor of Medical Plastics News, and today I'm joined by Siliana Minkowska, the founder of Matrix Health and Care, where we will discuss their pelvic assessment and diagnostics device, which is designed to eradicate the speculum. So Siliana, could you tell me a bit about what Matrix does um, and what your role is for the company? Yes, sure. I'd love to. Um, so Matrix is, uh, as a company, the mission is to fully transform women's sexual, reproductive and maternal health care through the power of human-centered design innovation. And although in theory, sexual, reproductive and maternal health care is very closely linked in, in practice, is very much very um, different and, and separated when it comes to people navigating through the health and care system. And Matrix was born at the back of my master's in healthcare and design at uh, um, Imperial College London. Uh, it was a joint degree between Imperial and the Royal College of Art. Um, which I finished in the summer of 2022. And as part of my thesis project, I did various conversations with um, experts in the space, such as obstetricians, gynecologists, midwives, uh, and just generally people who work in, in women's health. And my role at the company is I'm the founder and the CEO. It's uh, It's been official since last summer when I left my full-time role to focus on this fully, uh, which still feels very surreal. It's always been full-time in my heart, but now it's full-time in in the books officially. So you started this up last summer, um, so obviously it's, it's still a very new company. Where are you in terms of regulations and things like that? Yeah, um, so it's, uh, I guess it started almost as it lived as a chapter in my thesis project. Um, and then I applied for an accelerator called the Femtech Lab, uh, which is a three month long program. And I joined that in September 2022. And that's where I really dived deep into the realm of entrepreneurship. Prior to that, it was very much um, let's save the world, let's do good, design can do amazing things if it's done right from from the outset. Uh, But actually joining an environment and an ecosystem where I had the opportunity to be with fellow founders and uh, women who disrupt women's health and care 
um, I realized that there is so much more to that, such as you have to go through regulations or you have to uh, protect your intellectual property, etc. So the real journey started in September 2022 when I um, started the um, the program and then it resulted in an equity free grant which I used to apply for the patent and pretty much that took me to January last year and since January last year I've just focused on slowly building the company such as going through the patent doing a bit on the software side of things as well as the hardware trying to develop as much as I could with uh, bootstrapping um, together with some different awards such as uh, uh, there is a program at Imperial called We Innovate for Women Founders which I completed and ended up winning the first prize which had a monetary substitution to it and also got a Innovate UK grant uh, which was very helpful towards building my first demonstrator um, and at the moment, uh, a year later, I guess, uh, I am in a stage where I'm fundraising. I'm preparing to officially, I'm opening the first, uh, my first ever round uh, later this month. And the idea is to raise some more serious funding where I can really focus on the regulatory um, side of things, as well as uh, build a team um, and further develop the um, uh, the solution and the offering, because in regulatory, as I'm sure, Olivia, you're aware, there has to be um, yeah, ISO certifications, the different C marking, and depending on the regulatory body, whether it's in the UK or Europe or um, FDA in the States, it's, it's, it's quite different. And um, the processes are <laughs> very um, similar in a way, but at the same time, they, re they have different requirements. So um, yeah, the idea is to raise some funding for the next 18 months runway, which will help me go through, through this um, yeah, bits uh, such as safety and compliance, the different iterations and um, um, certifications and um, registrations of, um, yeah. I've noticed a lot of femtech startup companies in the, in the past couple of years since I've worked for Medical Plastics News. Um, why do you think it's all happened now? Mm. Yeah, that's a very interesting question. And I always wondered why actually my journey as a designer uh, changed when I was doing my past life is, well, I still kind of am. Mm, I qualified as an architect. And when I was doing my master's in architecture at Royal College of Art, I unexpectedly fell pregnant with my first daughter who just turned eight last uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that changed me not only as a, as a human being, as a woman, but actually as a designer. I just started going through different appointments and different experiences, such as the experience of giving birth, which is a, a very much a profound and intimate and personal um, metamorphosis of uh, a woman becoming a mother. Um, and I just couldn't stop and think, why have we designed product spaces, services and uh, interactions which can equally harm as well as uh, uh, soothe or, or, or heal us? And that's when my, my, my research and investigation started um, in 2015, actually, because it started with, with a pregnancy. Uh, and I was so shocked to see how 
uh, little innovation there is. For example, the speculum, what we are innovating through our flagship product hasn't changed since the Roman era when one visits the welcome collection in um, uh, in Houston, in London, uh, they can find an artifact which dates from 199 BC and it's just insane. And I think um, there is so much data which uh, showcases and very well uh, defines the the gender health gaps within um, within women's health. So, for example, just 30 years ago, women were admitted into clinical trials and we just keep designing for human beings thinking that they're the default male. And although I think Femtech is uh, exploding theoretically as a as a hot topic, especially in the in the venture capital space, I still think it's uh, it's in the infancy when we look at how little investment goes towards female founders and especially founders who innovate this space. But it, it's good. It's good that it's uh, that there is um, awareness around that and that we are starting the conversation because it's I think it's now, now it's definitely the right time. So. Coming back to Matrix again, you say that you've reimagined and humanised gynae examinations and procedures. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah, sure. Um, at the moment, the way uh, a person is examined gynaecologically and whether this is the uh, pap smear test, which now we call cervical screening, or whether you have a, a colposcopy or um, sexually transmitted infection or disease or any anything to do with your reproductive health and care, um, women are examined with with a speculum, and as I just mentioned, it hasn't been reimagined for for so long. Um, and when I've spoken to some really, um, I guess very much stuck in their ways, gynecologists. They always say, oh, why do you think it hasn't changed? Because it works well, but actually uh, it doesn't because it's um, it's not designed to uh, for the different experiences that we that we share. I actually, last month I had the honor to spend a day at the colposcopy clinic at uh, John Radcliffe Hospital in Oxford. And I was so, amazed to see that if we saw five women for the day, they had such diverse experiences and not only like the physiological build and like their pain thresholds or um, yeah, just the way their uh, parts looked or how they experienced them, but actually the lived experience, something that really makes us different psychologically, not only physiologically. And that's the moment when I was, I became even hungrier to innovate more in this space because I thought we, it's such an undignifying, disempowering um, procedure where we don't only strip our clothes, we have to leave our dignity, our agency and our control over our reproductive economy. We are often turned into medical objects. Um, And the humanization aspect comes by offering something that's more versatile, something that's really made to um, to suit these different um, yeah, builds and experiences so that um, um, it's not one size fits all, but actually to, to create something much more um, pliable in a way that can that can serve us better. And this can come through 
materiality and just uh, different explorations of the of the design ergonomics and elements. This podcast is brought to you by Medical Plastics News, the leading voice in polymer innovation for the medical sector. To read more and to subscribe, visit medicalplasticsnews.com. Now talking about the design, how how does the self-examination work? Is it straightforward and how long would it take someone to do it compared to going to a gynae themselves? Hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess, the idea of having self-examination comes from um, that giving women and um, assigned female at birth folk to to be able to, to control the experience. For example, if a person has vaginismus, which is incredibly painful condition, the involuntary tightening of the vagina walls that can be um, yeah, they can't insert a tampon, let alone something that dilates them to that extent. Then we are talking about people who are highly vulnerable and highly afraid of this examination. So the idea is to really give people the power and, of course, the option if somebody is not happy to, to have it done to themselves, by themselves, they can uh, have it done with a nurse or with a, a healthcare practitioner. Um, but in terms of the examination, the actual device is powered by a multispectral camera capability. Um, so our um, vision is that once you capture visually the vaginal condition or the, the cervix itself, then we take this snapshot, which can be instantly transferred to, uh, for example, from primary to secondary care, where at present there are such massive wait lists, especially in our dear underfunded and super stretched NHS, where sometimes you can wait up to 60 weeks in order to see a specialist for something that perhaps just needs to be visually explained to, to the specialist practitioner. So the idea is to reduce these wait times, but also to give a long-term um, follow-up database where uh, doctors can transfer the information and they can refer to the same image rather than having to open the same um, vaginal cavity times and times again, uh, which, as I mentioned, at times could be could be highly painful and triggering. And in terms of the sampling examination, I think we live in really exciting times where we can do a biopsy, almost like in situ biopsy, where we just need to lightly touch an area of concern and then we can extract the needed um, cytology or the specimen for um, for, for further investigation. So this is um, yeah, exciting times to innovate in this space, aligning with the NHS mission and pledge to eliminate cervical cancer from the UK by 2040, which I think it's, it is exciting, but also highly ambitious, but definitely there is no better time to, to innovate in this space. But yeah, the idea behind having a, uh, a self-administered screening is to just so one can take their time and uh, just do it on their own terms rather than being almost like a conveyor belt. This is, you're a woman, that's what it takes. You need to go through it suck it up almost kind of thing yeah definitely um so i know you were saying before about how it can be painful depending on like certain conditions um keeping in mind like women's different conditions can you adapt this like is it versatile yeah the idea is to 
uh, use material that can potentially be um, like, for example, like hydrogel or the different silicon. So <laughs> the way the device functions and is imagine the moment is to have two parts so the core would be where all the hardware would live so the camera the connectivity the battery lights etc so that has to be safe in kind of a metal casing but then actually the top the the actual sheath which could be removable and also sterilizable um, and replaceable that could be something more um, much more versatile so that it can really um, ergonomically adopt for for the different um, openings and, and the different experiences because at present the speculum comes in different sizes like L, M and S and nurses tend to use the S but if somebody has vaginismus there is something that's called the virgin speculum, which is which is really tiny, but then it kind of opens other challenges because you can't really get to to the area of concern. It takes much longer, and the person becomes even more anxious and and uncomfortable. So the idea is to really be able to um, yeah to uh, reduce time to doctors, costs, and scheduling burdens to healthcare providers, but doing that whilst optimizing the overall clinical practice and, and of course the patient experience, which at the moment, looking at statistics, 30% of eligible individuals don't attend their um, cervical cancer screening. And a lot of people can understand why, because it's so um, yeah, undignifying and just in a way culturally inappropriate so the idea is to really invest the time into the, the design development so it can be as versatile as possible and why do you think femtech is such an important um market uh, i think it's almost like we've been hibernating as a as a as a society just accepting that this is how it's done this is how we um yeah this is how we need to we, we live with it that's this is how it is basically and almost like just who cares that uh, for instance the seat belt is not designed accounting menstruating or pregnant women or the car safety is tested for um just the male um driver and when it comes to testing on a woman it's just shrunk or like the heart attack like the symptoms are very different in women in men and um, and all these studies that we that have we uh, that we've undertaken all this time assuming that the male is uh, the default and kind of the the normal um, i think the world is is waking up and just seeing more and more how women are as women we are i think 49 percent almost like half of the of the world's population and i think also we realize that a lot of the um um not paid uh workforce is conducted by women so women are uh the primary carers whether for elderly parents or people or or for for younger children um women kind of work much harder in the background to uh, bring for the future economic and uh, commodity of, of of the world so i think 
the world is in general is waking up to that to know that women's health is public health is human health and it's also a human right so i think that's why it's coming more and more of a um, uh, a focus and people want to invest more more time and energy whether it's through finding businesses which serve women's health or just uh, being inspired by a lived experience like in my case or um yeah it's 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 fascinating because i've had so many recent conversations with with men who come and they're so passionate about um femtech purely because they've got daughters or their wives have been through something and it's really interesting that um yeah the world is slowly kind of waking up and it i, I think it's is very fortunate that we live in the time and age when we we can really disrupt and innovate in a space that's been overlooked for 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 centuries for for so long Okay, so thank you to Liana for taking the time to speak to me today. Thank you, Livia. It's been great. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. Thank you.